knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned, there's not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp and Angela Whitehorn is my co-host. And we're, we kind of have a two-part episode today. So if you've seen the title, you, you know that. We're going to be talking to the guys from Revived Thoughts. And we're also going to be talking about mops and just giving a kind of update on everything that transpired. I've gotten a lot of messages. And first of all, though, we're going to be talking to the hosts of the Revived Thoughts podcast. And a lot of you maybe have never heard of the Revived Thoughts podcast. We went, My a lot of our audience knows that my husband and I went on a long trip recently, and I downloaded a whole bunch of podcasts to listen to on the trip, and and I listened to several of the Revive Thoughts podcast, and, and I love it because they will, I read with expression, I guess, old sermons from all sorts of people, John Calvin, Jay Gresham Machen, um, B.B. Warfield, Jonathan Edwards, but I, but they always start with kind of going over the history of it and, and this sort of thing. So I'm going to let you guys take it away from here and have you tell us about your podcast. Yeah, Revive Thoughts. So we, we originally started with the idea that we're going to take old sermons and put them into audio. I mean, we realized, because uh, I was just listening to a lot of podcasts at the time, and I, they all were great. Uh, the speakers were good. The preachers were good. But we realized, like, at some point, I noticed that 1,900 years worth of sermons, or at least 1,800 years from, you know, 100 AD when the church is going to, to 1,900 when audio is out there and radio is happening, all these sermons are just sitting there. They're sitting in books, and they're great to read, but most people don't know about them. And all these sermons by people like Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, like these really great names that people love are not able to be listened to. And sermons, you know, they're designed to be heard, to be listened to Mm. at a church. You know, if I told everyone, hey, we're going to all go to my house and read the script for the new Lion King, a lot of people wouldn't show up. But if I told them, hey, we're going to go to the movie and see that script live, you know, that's, that's a completely different story. And in the same way, these sermons are meant to be heard. They're, they were designed to be preached by somebody and getting them into audio so people can hear them again, I think makes them much more impactful. And then after we started doing that, we realized, yeah, but if you know who preached it and you know when they preached it, that adds a lot more to it. If I talk about a sermon 
and I say, hey, this sermon's about overcoming fear. It's a good sermon. If I tell you it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the guy who, you know, literally would not stop going back to Germany and was killed because of it, then you're like, wow, that's a sermon by a person with real authority. And then if I tell you that sermon was preached the week after Nazis marched through the streets of you know, Berlin and they had this humongous riot. And then on Sunday, everyone shows up for church and Bonhoeffer gets up and goes, don't be afraid. God's in control. You're okay. That suddenly adds just different layers to it that you just can't get mm. from just seeing the sermon by itself. Yeah. Yeah. And not only is it, I mean, really great for church history and seeing, you know, these men of God throughout time, throughout ages, 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago. Um, but it's incredible. Every time we do research and do an episode or listen to a sermon, um, it's, it's encouraging on a, on a spiritual level. It's encouraging uh, on a, to encourage your faith because it, it just shows how timeless and how uh, constant the word of God is. Uh, you know, these, these people are preaching messages, preaching concepts um, that are just as applicable on, you know, yeah. on, on levels today. Uh, sure. You know, they, they live in a different era and they're talking to a different audience using different illustrations, but uh, you know, the points that they're making uh, are, are just as applicable as they were back then. Yep. Wow. Was there something in particular that, that kind of gave you guys the idea to start this podcast? Yeah. So there's two things. First was that, that Bonhoeffer illustration. I actually read it in a book. I read that sermon and I was so blown away by the history of it. I was like, people need to visualize this. Um, but something else that kind of helped motivate me. So I lived in China for two years. And one thing China does is they put a firewall up around your information and what you can see on the internet, what you can do. And you have to use all these basically bypasses to get around. And the whole point is basically like, if we control what you know and understand and see, uh, we can control how you think and feel. And they do a really good job of cleansing history and keeping that out of it. And that hit me in two ways. A, again, I thought about Bonhoeffer and I thought about like in his congregation, there would have been Nazis, just like in the church today, like these Chinese believers have to be careful of letting in government officials. Mm. But it also made me think too, like we have in some ways put up a firewall in the sense that like we, and we, nobody put it on us, we did it ourselves, but we basically listen to sermons from the latest, you know, the latest sermons by the latest guys in our podcast apps. And we don't go back to these historical sermons. And if we can't listen to it, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times we tell people about these sermons and people kind of just go like, I didn't even know those existed. Yeah. You know, if I told you we found a brand new book by Charles Spurgeon with all these theological thoughts, I mean, that would become a bestseller straight away. But if I tell you he has all these sermons where he told his congregation week in and week out, here's how to live your life for God. And they're just all sitting there and nobody like no one's putting together like we should be listening to these. So Troy had these thoughts and like he said, he was living in China at the time. Uh, and we, we've been good friends friends ever since Bible college back and uh, we graduated uh, back in 2014. Uh, and uh, he caught, he called me from China and he says, I got an idea for a podcast and he explained what it was. And I said, I'm on board. Let's, let's do it. And, and that's how it was born. Uh, you've given some examples of some of the sermons you've done so far. Feel free to give us a few more. And I'm kind of curious, what is the oldest sermon you've done so far? Okay, so the oldest sermon that we have done so far is kind of a tie uh, between a guy named John Bradford, who was called the holiest person of the reformers. And he, this dude was so uh, joyful, loved God so much. I mean, he, he got thrown in prison for some of the things he was doing for God. And basically when they told him, you know, we're going to execute you, he was just kind of like, praise God, the day is here. I get to go be with my savior. And he spent the entire time on the execution platform, praying and telling everyone to love Jesus. And even at one point, the executioner was like, come on, we got to do this thing. He's like, okay, no, okay. I'm going to sing the songs while I'm being burned. It was an incredible person. 
And then the other person is John Calvin, who I knew a lot about John Calvin, I thought. And then like when we did that episode and I really had to dig into who he was as a person, I realized, you know, I don't actually know the history of this guy sure. quite as well as I thought. I've yeah. heard the theology. I've maybe looked into his like quotes. I didn't know who they were. And that's actually, I think something we can say about almost everybody is like, we learn about who some of these people are, but we don't actually like really dig into who they are, their story all the way. Yeah. Yeah. When we see, you know, all these quotes shared on Facebook or Instagram, we see, you know, uh, the quotes will, you know, say the quotes will say Spurgeon or they'll say Bonhoeffer. Um, and that's a lot of the time what that's all people know, or, you know, it'll be quoted from the pulpit. You know, the pastor will, will, will say something inspiring and say, uh, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that, uh, but so much of the time we don't know who these people were, what, what, what happened in their lives that led them to have that mindset on life? What, what was their upbringing like? What tragedies did they go through that shaped their worldview and that shaped how they relate with others and how they communicate the Bible? Yeah. So you spend part of your co- podcast episode then talking about the context that yes. makes these um, quotes and sermons so mm. amazing. Yeah, I think that's a huge part. I think that's a huge part of what makes the show work. I, again, if you just hear an old, and we do update the language, we take out a lot of the stuff that would make it sound like old English so that it still sounds, it sound, we want it to sound similar to sermons today in the sense of like, you're not sitting there struggling with what the words mean the whole time. At the same time, though, uh, we, we, we fi- I mean, I find that the stories of who these men are add a lot of depth to the sermons. And again, like I said earlier, when you know it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer telling you to overcome fear, or another one, uh, George Mueller, he has a sermon called Real Faith. It's one of the first episodes we do. And he tells you how to live a faithful life that will see results. And this is a guy who fed 10,000 orphans, gave 10,000 sermons, was was a missionary in like the end of his life. I mean, he was an incredible man and he never asked for a single dollar. And that's just like, when a guy like that tells you, here's how you have faith, you want to listen because that guy knows something that we, that like just an average person would maybe not know. You know, I think one good example, because one thing I really like about your show is that beginning part before the sermon. And you kind of fit all sorts of different things in there. And I think you... We were talking before we recorded about when you did Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. And why don't you guys talk about what you learned when, and even were kind of disagreeing a little bit between yourselves about that sermon. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's, there's little things that, that come up with historians or just things that we associate with, uh, with people from the past and Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. I always grew up, when, when people talked about that sermon, they would always talk about how it was preached in this, this monotone voice, and it, it was terrifying to people. Um, and uh, Troy <laughs> uh, came to me one day and he says, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true. You know, there's, people say that, yes, but there's some evidence that it's maybe not the case. And so it was something that we uh, ended up discussing a lot of it, and we, we kind of talk about it in that episode a bit, um, is kind of the misconceptions that uh, come with time uh, with people just repeating what other people say. Uh, and I mean, it's very likely it, it may have been monotone, but um, there's also uh, some evidence that it, we don't, you know, it, may, it probably wasn't, um, may not have been, uh, and we don't know for sure. 
Yeah, because when I read, I usually read the sermons first before I even dig into who the people are. I mean, there's certain people like Charles Spurgeon. Where I'm like, okay, I know this guy's on the up and up, but there are times where I'm like, wow, this is a great sermon. Look at look, let me who 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 talked about this? Who was this person? Um, usually comes afterwards because if they're you know that's what I kind of how I go about it. So when I read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which I, you know from the very beginning people heard the idea of the show and they said you got to have that one in there. We, we knew that. Um, and when I read through it, I'm like, the idea that that could be a monotonely delivered sermon <laughs> just seemed really surprising to me. And so when Joel told me, yeah, it's a, it's a monotone, it's a, it's a very you know dull sermon. I was like, from the revival preachers who are known for their passion, I got it. So we did some research. We, we're, we really try hard to stay neutral. And this mm-hmm. is one of those things where we presented both sides and we're like, you can decide where you fall on that. Um, and it's not just them too. I mean, I remember the there's a lot of stuff when you dig through these people and the, the aspects of things, you find stuff that like maybe isn't talked about that much. One, of, one example I think of is Hudson Taylor. When he arrived in China, he arrived during the middle of the Taiping Rebellion, which is one of the bloodiest events in all of human history, one of the biggest wars that ever happened. And he had to fall, like he literally arrived pretty much as the war was starting. And he was preaching about Jesus while this other guy who starts the war is claiming to be Jesus's brother. Imagining that context of trying to tell people about the Lord. And they're like, oh, you mean like the Lord's brother? No, not that guy, the, the real Lord. I just, I put, when you do this research, you just find out so much stuff. What do you guys have coming up? Um, like, w- I'm kind of curious how your process is for how you choose what's going to be next. Uh, that, that comes to us two different ways. So one of the ways is that uh, whoever delivers the sermons to us first, in a sense, kind of gets, it gets prioritized. We have to send out the sermons because we try to have as many of them you know, delivered by different people so that you feel like you're getting a new voice with them. And because of that, you know, we'll send out sermons and some people will return them very quickly, some slowly. So that does help, um, decide what comes next. And then also too, we try not to have too many in a row, I think in the same era. So like the last couple have been towards the end of the 1800s. One of our next ones is going to be actually our next oldest sermon, which is going to go all the way back to the 1300s. And so there's things like that, that play into it. Um, and partially too, it, it, it depends on us as well. Some of those really old sermons, like we want to do some that go all the way back to the beginning of the church. But those are, takes a lot of skill to edit those. So as we get more skilled, yeah. we're able to go further back in history. But, you know, it's easier for us to pull something from the 1800s. It takes a lot more work to get the stuff from the older days to sound sound as if you can kind of listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we come across uh, a lot of these sermons ourselves when we do our research. Um, we also have had some viewer recommendations yeah. that uh, listeners have recommended. Someone said, you got to do this episode. You got to do one on this person. We got to yeah. do one on that. And we have uh, produced and, and released some episodes along those lines as well. So uh, we encourage any type of feedback, any type of conversation with the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, if audience members want to recommend a, a historian or a sermon, or even want to be a voice for one of the sermons themselves, we, we, uh, we'd love to hear from our audience uh, regarding those things. Yeah, that's true. I'm sitting here intrigued. Like, uh, let me, let me, let me go download this podcast right now. That's honestly what I'm thinking right now. I'm super excited to give it a listen. Yeah, actually, um, I had to be in the doctor's office this afternoon. Usually they're right on time, but I had to wait for over an hour. And so I listened to the Jay Gresham Machen one um, this afternoon. I'm not quite done with it. Awesome. And so, and I was, I was glad because as Presbyterians <laughs> were as old school <laughs> Presbyterians, especially yeah. we're big Machen fans. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we vote for more um, good Presbyterian sermons like B.B. Thorfield <laughs> and J. Gresham Machen. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, of course, always the the John Calvin. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll tell you what, uh, one of the guests that we've had on, and if you're ever looking for something from Philip Melanchthon, one of our guests, Scott Keith, has actually translated some of wow. Melanchthon's stuff. So if if you're ever looking for something from him. I can definitely hook you up. <laughs> hook hook us yeah. up. That is exactly yeah. <laughs> the our favorite kind of stuff is stuff like that. Let me tell you. There's another guy that I know that's translated some some stuff from a Swedish pastor. And you don't Ooh. think about it, but there's a lot of sermons out there in mm. other languages that have yet to even be yep. translated. So No, actually, no. So that's okay. So there's one thing this podcast we would love to find a way to figure out is Getting to missionary sermons is really difficult. I cannot tell you how many hours I will spend. I will spend Googling and Googling and Googling and trying to find some guy. Cause I imagine some of the best preachers that ever lived had to have been missionaries because they were preaching in other languages and they still convinced people of the gospel. Yeah. And you know, these people had to be some of the best, but it's extremely difficult to get those sermons because you know, their, their host audience might not live in conditions where they're writing down those sermons and thinking to translate them and hold them, or they might be in another language. And so things like that, where we're trying to get those sermons outside of just the Western bubble is like one of the, one of the goals of the show. And it's also the, one of the toughest parts of the show. Okay. I have one that you need to con- get in contact with. You need to get in contact with Douglas Bond. Yeah. Um, my other podcast, uh, we recorded an episode with him and I feel like such a dumb dumb. I'm about to say, I don't even know if this episode has come out yet. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I participate a lot less on that podcast than I do on the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we recorded an episode with Douglas Bond on the topic was the French Huguenots. Okay. And um, I, I, I often take notes when mm-hmm. we're recording with a guest um, just because it helps me have uh, thoughts and things to say that, mm-hmm. you know, ask questions and that sort of thing. And I remember he talked about um, – a person who was a very important key figure in the French Huguenots, um, which is taking place at the, actually a little earlier. Mm -hmm. And um, he mentioned this man named Pierre Veret. And um, I think that is spelled V-E-R-E-T. I know know exactly who you're talking about. I was literally this week, he was on my list of people. I was searching for a sermon from this guy. Okay. And so if you, if you want someone, you know, to read one of his sermons, I think Doug Bond would be fantastic because he's a historian. He and his wife even have kind of a side business where they lead Reformation tour vacations and he's the docent. I mean, this dude, yes, (laughs) he, he's your Pierre Veret right there. I'm just saying. Perfect. So that's my tip. Thank you. (laughs) I had to step away for a second to pull out my notebook to get you the right name, but that's it. (laughs) Yeah. You need to put us in contact with him. He will be on the show ASAP. So I have one, one more question before we let you guys go. I'm, I'm wondering so far you've, you've done, I think I've known every name that Mm -hmm. you've done so far. Um, How many are you guys up to? We're on 14. Are you going to be, are you going to be doing some more that might be, names that people may not know and are you going to m- maybe even find some lesser known people that you're going to do so let me tell you we are really excited and we absolutely 1000 percent are moving in that direction so 
when we first started the show, I mean, we had the first nine episodes recorded before we had ever even released a single episode. And so when we were asking people to help us with the show, it just made more sense to invite them to do Charles Spurgeon. And, and, and as an audience, there are certain people, people will hear like, oh, Charles Spurgeon, you know, this, these John Calvin, uh, D.L. Moody. These are people I'm really familiar with. I'm really excited to hear more and learn more about them. But as we continue to progress as a show, we want to move in a direction where we're bringing people you haven't heard of. I, I kid you not, I have a sermon that I can almost guarantee you nobody has heard of because, and this may be embarrassing, but when I looked at him, I, he, he had the same exact name as someone else and he wasn't the same person. So like this sermon was literally a guy who <laughs> preached only one sermon before he died. He knew he was going to die. So he put this one sermon out there. It's really incredible. We have people like that, that we have plans to release them. And just as the show matures and grows, and as we, as I said earlier, we can get better at handling some of those ancient preachers to people, you know, like St. Augustine, Chris Ossistum, Basil, as we kind of are able to broaden our scope a little bit, we'll be able to get more of those names that um, you haven't heard of and more sermons from people like Jonathan Swift, which we have an episode of, which I don't think of most people realize he even did sermons. Mm. So, well, we're going to recommend that people check you out. We'll, we'll link it in the episode notes. Do you have an email address where people can contact you or through your website? What's a way that people can contact you if they have a suggestion? Yeah, uh, our, our email is the best way to do that. It's just revivethoughts at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We post a lot of stuff there. Um, uh, additional information in addition to the, to the sermons. We also have little, little pockets of stuff that doesn't make it into each episode and quotes and stuff there that we share. And we also do make every sermon available on our website so that the, you, know, you don't just have to take our word for it. If you want to go back and read it and see some of the information and stuff, we, we produce all of that so you are able to, do, to be able to go back to it as much as you want. Yeah, uh, revivethoughts.com, the website. Each episode has its own transcript there. So if you want to look through the, the exchange that Troy and I had back and forth about the history of that sermon, or you want to read the transcript of the sermon itself and kind of scrub through and find uh, a key point that you liked or something like that, uh, if reading is more your style, you can do that on our website at revivethoughts.com. Well, great. Thanks, guys, yeah. for joining us. And we'll be back um, with just Angela and I. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. Podcast. This is James White. Jamie Owen. I'm Chris Nordworthy. This is Daniel Brown. Check out our full-length episodes released every first and third Monday of every month 
<laughs> and our short Minister's Minute episodes released every second and fourth Monday of the month. Mm-hmm. What is youth ministry? What is apologetics? And if Christ found this important, then it should be important to us. The Everyday Ministry Podcast. Where everyday ministers get together to discuss everyday ministry. Okay, we are back. And well, I, I'm going to just say to anyone that's listening, if you haven't listened to our Mops episode, you probably should go back and listen to that. So you might be lost if you didn't listen to the Mops episode. But um, just in brief, we did a whole episode where we talked about Mops, uh, mothers of preschoolers and our concerns with Mops. And I've gotten a lot of people that have messaged me saying, whatever happened? And, you know, it occurred to me, not everyone's in our Facebook group. Not everyone goes to our website. They they might not know. Um, there was a lot of drama that that followed that episode. I, I think, like, I, I needed a vacation after that. I took a vacation <laughs> after that. Um, and let me say, start by saying this. It, wa- it wasn't even... We actually got far more positive feedback than we did get negative, and that was so encouraging. We we heard a lot of a lot of messages that said, you know, we've had concerns with mops for a while, and you really articulated what those are, and gave me something that I can give to my pastor. We got a lot like that, or um, people that said, you know what, we saw the same concerns in our church ended our MOPS program last year or the year before. So that that was the majority of what we got. But uh, we got we got several, just really a handful, maybe a large handful of, of people that, that weren't happy with it. And what was interesting is there was one primary thing that was in those that I thought was interesting. And let me let me say that the tone of those were not some of some of the people were very gracious and kind. Um, when they asked this, but their question was, did you go to Mandy first? Did you go to Mops first? And we kind of addressed that on the episode, but we're going to just talk about that a little bit here. So Angela, why didn't we go to Mops or Mandy first? Well, first of all, um, when people are asking that question, they are Um, they've got a particular passage of scripture in view. They're thinking about Matthew 18 and thinking that um, we need to go to our brother in private. And really the reason why um, we did not do that before we made our episodes on MOPS is because this is a public ministry and um, the passage in Matthew 18 is not regarding public ministries. It's, it's regarding private relationships in the body, in the, in the local church. And, um, church discipline, and we are not a part of a church with Mandy, um, and we um, are not bound by that portion of scripture on criticizing a public ministry. Um, there's a public ministry out there um, putting out false theology, and so the response can also be in public. So that's that's the primary reason why we did not go um, directly to Mandy first in private. Another, you know, just simple practical reason is we're strangers to her. We don't have access to her in private. But then finally, many who did have access to her in private had already gone to her privately and um, asked questions and um, gave concerns, calls to action to please change. Um, and those uh, concerns have gone unaddressed or 
flat rejected. Um, and so even even if we wanted to say that the requirement to go in private still exists, that had already happened many times. Many people had already done that. Yeah, and, and actually Mandy even, in her response to us, which we'll get to in a minute, even kind of made reference to that, that um, our concerns had already been addressed. And I, I do believe she was referring to the fact that other people had had brought some of the same concerns. Because if you remember, we talked a lot about Sarah Wilkins' open letter to MOPS, and we really did bring up the same main points that Sarah brought up. I think that was in 2015. So, um, and I think if I remember correctly, Sarah also had a conversation with Mandy. But, you know, I see this happen I, I see this happen periodically when someone, maybe a discernment ministry, uh, you know, talks about a certain teacher and what they're teaching, and people will come and say, "Did you go to them first? And um, I'm, I've talked talked to Andrew Rappaport and Justin Peters because they had gone down to the Philippines the same week our Mops episode came out, and they were exposing some of the Word of Faith teachers down in the in the Philippines, and they got the same question: "Did you go to them first? And so I had some conversations with them also. That really, when it's a public ministry, it's open for public scrutiny. You know what? People mm-hmm. judge us. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, you know, w- when you read the scripture about false teachers um, and cr- and rebuking false teachers and then separating, and, you know, uh, Colleen, you already said, you know, have a listen back at our prior episode about mops if you haven't, because we do go into some pretty good detail about this. But um, you're not going to find the requirement in scripture for, hey, when it's a false teacher, um, go talk to them in private first. You're not going to see that requirement. You're going to see, <laughs> um, you know, rebuke and separate, avoid, don't have anything to do with. So um, it, it's a very, very different situation. In those yeah, I actually think of Ephesians 5.11, which says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of dar- darkness, but rather expose them. And that might sound harsh, the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but anything that is contrary to foundational doctrines of the Christian faith or a direct attack on the gospel itself uh, falls into that category. That's right. And so, yes, we, we, did, we did expose them. And, you know, we, we didn't keep it a secret that that's, that's what we were doing. But I will tell you also that we're, we're not a discernment ministry, and it's not our desire to pick on them or to be harsh towards them. And as we said in our first episode, it's actually our love for neighbor and our love for God that motivates us to fight for the truth, really, the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. Another criticism we got was, Um, you're being too picky. Mops just isn't about theology. Maybe along those lines, another thing is, well, it's not supposed to be centered on the gospel because that's going to scare moms away if, if you talk about that. But I, you know, interesting that that was said because I've even seen some of this year's curriculum and there is Bible in there. So it's not a secret when moms come that they're coming to a Christian program. It's at a church, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and as we've said before, I mean, the gospel is actually what these moms need to hear more than anything. That's, 
That's right. Not how to have more friends. Yeah. And I think it's really important for churches to evaluate, um, hey, it, it takes resources to, to put on programs like MOPS. Um, is a program that says, hey, we're not supposed to be about the gospel. Is that what we want our churches putting our resources into? And then second, um, kind of related to that, I'd say, I think a lot of churches who have been involved with MOPS in the past maybe have had the notion that it is going to be about the gospel and that it is going to be um, presenting the gospel. I know that um, our guest, Stephanie, who did a lot of the research for our first episode about MOPS, she went to MOPS thinking that she was going to hear the gospel and that it would be some uh, outreach. Um, and was and that was one of the primary things that she was disappointed by. So I, I think sometimes churches may be under the impression that uh, the MOPS program and curriculum is going to be about sharing the gospel. And then if if they're not under that impression and they know, hey, it's not about the gospel, I think that's something to evaluate pretty hard. Is that what our churches need to be involved with? And as far as being too picky, uh, you know, while some of the mops is around stuff like how to have a capsule wardrobe or, you know, quick freezer meals or, you know, practical things like that. It's also sharing things that are spiritual in nature or I want to say Christian, but with quotes here in nature. So teachers that talk about Christianity like Rob Bell and um, some of these Catholic mystics are promoted because they fall under some Christian category. We're not taking issue with, you know, how to build a capsule wardrobe. We're taking issue with things that are contrary to the word of God, contrary to the gospel. Mm -hmm. Amen. And as far as whether or not we're being too picky, just like you said, we're talking about doctrines that are foundational. We're talking about the gospel here, the meat and potatoes of what we believe. And it's the the entire foundation for Christianity, the gospel. We're not talking about, hey, uh, Mops prefers grape juice over wine in communion. We're not talking about nitty-gritty peripheral issues. We're talking about the gospel, folks. So if uh, that is a hill to die on. That is something worth being picky about. Um, and we are not picking at secondary issues. Yeah, because it potentially deceives people. That That's why mm. we feel so strongly. So let me just tell you what did end up happening uh regarding MOPS, after our episode came out, we received an email from Mandy, the president of MOPS, and that email was also placed on at least two of our posts on our Facebook page. It was um, verbatim the same thing. And um, then following that, we did have a couple interactions with Mandy on our Facebook our Facebook wall. And we just want to read a couple of things that she said. Let me back up again. I'm sorry. Um, we did release um, an open letter to Mandy, kind of responding to some of the things that she said. But we're just going to go over a couple of those here just to explain. Because I received messages just this week of people saying that um, 
that their churches were under the impression that everything that we said was responded to adequately by mobs. Mm. And we don't believe that that is the case. Right. Um, I, I do believe that uh, they maybe made some attempts to respond to things. We we do not believe that the concerns were addressed adequately. Um, first of all, um, MOPS would like to say that some of our concerns were already addressed in the past. Um, in their response, they say, as we listened to the podcast and read the blog, we found it primarily revisiting concerns from 2016, which we thoroughly responded to then and made adjustments where needed. These concerns have been addressed. Um, you know, what we think about that is that the concerns from 2016 were not addressed appropriately, and we believe the problems remain. The gospel is still not central to the MOPS curriculum. The clear gospel is difficult to find in MOPS resources, and it should be central to MOPS as it once was. Um, you know, just addressing Mandy, Mandy, while you yourself proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah and the risen Christ, there are things missing from your message. And we have yet to hear you talk about how we've sinned against a holy God and a clear explanation of the gospel, the good news. Yeah, and you know what? The gospel includes that Christ obeyed the law perfectly for us. When we talk about justification, we say just as if we never sinned and just as if we obeyed the law perfectly, understanding that Christ obeyed the law perfectly for us, that he died on the cross, that he took our sins, because we're sinners, upon himself, but he also clothes us in his righteousness. We we aren't seeing any of that. As we said on our earlier episode, there were things in the book that, for me, made me question, what is your doctrine of the atonement? And and mm. we're, we're still unsure of that. Um, I felt a little bit when Mandy addressed um, her quoting of of John Newell and Rob Bell, that there was maybe some regret in quoting them because it caused people to be upset. But I never saw, you know what, these people have said things contrary to foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, and I should have nothing to do with them. I shouldn't have quoted them for that reason. Um, I'll read what she did say. I made a mistake in quoting John Philip Newell. Honestly, I wouldn't do it again Mm -hmm. and didn't understand his theology at the time. The problem is, and we put a quote in this letter, which we'll link in the episode notes, is his theology is very clear in what Mandy calls her favorite book. Um, I'll read just something that John Philip Newell says in what Mandy calls her favorite book. She says, he says, the cross has been so strongly linked with a particular doctrine of salvation. They, talking about Christians, have either been explicitly taught or given the impression that a price needed to be paid for God's forgiveness and that the price was the death of Jesus. The teaching is often referred to as the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Although a payment needed to be made, says the doctrine, we are not worthy to make the payment ourselves. So a substitute sacrifice was needed. Jesus died on our behalf to propitiate the anger of God. One of the problems with this doctrine is that it runs counter to our deepest experiences of love. Who are the people who have most loved us in our lives amid our failures and betrayals? Could we imagine them ever requiring payment to forgive us? True love is free. Perhaps so much wrong has been done by this doctrine that the cross has become an irredeemable symbol for many, both within the Christian household and beyond. It it goes on from there. But this is the thing. That right there is a very attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, you said that a lot of what Mandy said about um, these false teachers gives leaves us with the impression that, oh, she wished she had not quoted from them um, because it would be controversial, but not because they're false teachers. Um, this is um, a quote from the MOPS response from Mandy. I will tell you that since starry-eyed, I try not to quote from controversial figures who don't align with traditional Christian teachings anymore, because as my leadership grows, I am aware that my words have more weight, and I don't want to be misunderstood or assume that I align with that teaching. Well, unfortunately, she never offers any warnings about these men or explicitly renounces their teachings. She quotes Rob Bell, um, Newell, Richard Rohr, and these these folks are not just controversial. And these are just a handful of examples. There are others. But these are false teachers that attack Jesus Christ and the church, that attack the gospel. And these are false teachers that attack the gospel directly. And we have not heard any statement from Mandy or Mops retracting support for these folks' theology. She says regarding... Rob Bell, as far as Rob Bell's quote, I quoted where he says the most powerful words we can use are me too, and they were written in one of his earlier books before his theology shifted. The quote had nothing to do with theology, only how we connect with people. Um, Rob Bell's theology shifted far before the, the quote from that from where she quoted him there. But I'm going to say what I said before, and this this is a concern of mine, is that I couldn't find... It probably exists, but I didn't see in Mandy's books where there were sound teachers quoted. And so I think that this is who she reads. And I want to say this, and I'm going to say it to Mandy here. Um, I I saw a screenshot, I think, of books that you said you're going to read this summer. And so you may be reading them right now. And I don't remember everything that was on that list, except for I did see that Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology was on there. And, you know, I will say Wayne Grudem's systematic theology is definitely a step up from other things. Um, I would personally recommend to you Michael Horton's Pilgrim Theology is a much better option. Wayne Grudem um, has some theological problems himself with doctrines like eternal subordination of the Son, but um, still a much better choice than your earlier choices. As I said before in our episode, in your most recent book, you quoted Rob Bell again. You did not say you were quoting Rob Bell. You had to go to the end notes to find that. And it said, I know a lot of people are going to throw this book down when they um, see that I quoted Bell. And so that that also showed knowledge that you knew that that was going to be a problem. So, mm-hmm. and we know that you have tried to respond to some of what of what we said, we would just like to see uh, appropriate responses. And I have, I do want to say that I have, like I said earlier, I have seen some of the curriculum for this year's mops. And obviously there wouldn't have been time since our episode to change things, but, but even still, um, like I saw a discussion about, the shepherd and it was a whole talk about Jesus as the shepherd but there was absolutely no gospel I mean I can't think of a 
much more appropriate time in that conversation that of the part that I read than the shepherd part to say, okay, what does that mean that he's our shepherd? In fact, in the in this curriculum, it actually says exegesis, and and then it talks about it. But there was no explanation of even what that means. It it was very more of the same, I guess, is what I would say. Mm. So, um, our our concerns continue with mops. We don't really plan on talking about it again, but we thought we needed to do this. Our fu- our full final letter will be linked in the episode notes, and oh, and we're we're going to say what we said before. We think if you are part of a sound church, you need to separate from them. And I think in order for me to feel comfortable, I would need to see repentance for. Um, the things that we've talked about. And repentance includes change. Amen. So, well, thanks for joining us for this kind of different little episode of Theology Gals. And we will see you next week.